If you will, take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Today is the what we call the annual state of the church message. Not address, message. I always love this Sunday. I do because behind us is a completed calendar. Ahead of us, I want to say is a blank calendar, but it's not quite blank. But in the terms of a diary, we have written all that we're going to write for 2023. Can't be rewritten. Can't be erased. We've written everything that we're going to write for last year. And what lies ahead of us is a calendar that we can fill, a diary that we can write, as as the video talked about, that we can fulfill His purpose, that we can do what He wants us to do. So now we see on the screen the state of the church, and somebody's going to go, okay, Jerry, what is the state of the church? Pastor, tell us. And I'm going to just tell you, it must be good, because all of my friends who always ask you, how are things going? They don't ask me that anymore because I brag on you guys. I brag on God's church here at New Hope so much. I don't think that they like to hear the good news. And at the same time, I'm aware that when I say, well, the state of the church is good, that there are some in this crowd that go, okay, you gave us the state of the church. Have the prayer. Let's go to the house. It'll be the best message. Don't quit laughing, Ryan. I saw that, all right? That'll be the best message all year. And I would say to us, not so fast. It is true things are good. But when I take this book and I read about Paul and I read about Peter and I read about John and oh yeah, I read about Jesus. These guys never said good was good enough. They always had their eyes open someplace else. Paul was always marching toward the goal for the prize of the high call of God. Peter was always encouraging people to grow in their faith. John was leading the church to do things they had never done before. And oh, by the way, Jesus always, now listen, Jesus always had his eyes on the other side. He always could see people who needed the gospel, who needed hope, who needed help. As I look around our nation, I know we kind of live in a bubble out here on the creek. But I'm telling you, that bubble's getting smaller. I tell you that that bubble could burst. You see, Jesus and his disciples... Jesus always act like time was short. And I think time is short, and it's getting shorter every day. In fact, I'll tell you when thinking about our nation, it's my personal belief that short of a spiritual revival inside the church that leads to a spiritual awakening outside the church, the lifespan of this nation may be shorter than you imagine. It's not going to happen in the White House. It's going to happen in the church house if there is to be a change. And today I'm reminded of those words that Gloria Gaither penned almost 50 years ago. 
and the Gaithers have sung it for years. The chorus says this, We have this moment to hold in our hand and to touch as it slips through our fingers like sand. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow may never come. But we have this moment today. The state of the church to me is his call to us for this moment. As I read the 12th chapter of Luke, I believe that Jesus is attempting to get his disciples, and by extension us, ready for his second coming. If you look at the first part of the chapter, he talks about hypocrisy. Then he talks about who, to, who and what to fear. He talks about fearing God. Then who and what to give our allegiance to and acknowledge Christ. And then he talks about anxiety. And in the middle of all that, he puts a story of the rich fool. Now, you remember the story of the rich fool. He'd been a great American 21st century guy, Brent, because he felt like the guy who had the most toys when he died won. And so he spent his life collecting things for himself. Then when Jesus had all of those things in their mind, down in verse 35, he began to stick the knife in and turn it just a little bit to get their attention. And that's where we'll pick up today, verse 35, chapter 12. If you can and will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? And all of this is Jesus speaking. And he says... Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. Now, that would be a very cultural thing back then. Back then, you didn't hit a light switch to turn your lights on. You lit your lamps. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready. Have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this. If the homeowners had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Lord, Peter asked, you got to love Peter. Lord, are you telling this parable to us? Or to everyone. (laughs) The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, 
my master has delayed his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him into pieces and assign him to a place with the unfaithful. And I want you to think about it. It's on the screen. It's in your Bible. Jesus is saying there are going to be people who know what to do, and they choose to do other things. Here he talked about beating. That was the common day, thing of that day. But, but Jesus is saying people who know what to do, what I've called them to do, what they're supposed to do, and they do something else, it will not go well. Let's move forward. But, and that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. Now, for those that think about the fairness of God, what about those that didn't know? There he goes. Because God believes that nature tells us really what we should do. It is this last part of this passage. In fact, Mitch, with the uh, modern technology, is going to underline it for us. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that today, I pray that as we enjoy your benefits and your blessings, I pray that today, that our commitment to you and for you will be fresh. And if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus in a personal way, Father, I pray that today your Holy Spirit will draw them. As you open our eyes and open our heart, open our minds, that we can hear from you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It is from that last phrase that I highlighted that the entire message is going to come today, and it's going to come in three truths. You see, that, that last phrase contains messages that we need to get our heads and hearts around. The first is the message to us. The message to us. And what is that? It'll be on the screen from everyone who has been given much. Can y'all read that with me? From everyone who has been given much. I want you to think about it around here. As I look around the, the New Hope family, as I see the people who are here today, as I look about us, here's what I'm going to tell you. I am in awe of what God has given to us. I mean, He has been so good to us with people who have gone before us with today. God has been good to us. Let me just mention some very practical things today. First of all, our facilities. Our facilities. 
God has been so good to us. People in the past, people in the present, with the facilities we have, we can, I, I will stand on any platform in our county, in our area, and I will put our facilities uh, next to anybody that I know. Think about it. We have fellowship hall out here that will seat 300. We have a kitchen in that fellowship hall that most restaurants in Columbia would give their right arm to have. You guys did good. It's a blessing. Now then, we have figured out how to how for that facility to serve us. I think Tate and Lauren knew that I was going to probably call her out today, so they're not here today because she didn't want to be called out. When I first got here, she and I had several conversations as we were getting ready to attempt the upper room. But she said to me, she said, if we're going to spend that kind of money and build that building... We need to find a way that building, we can use that building to serve our community. And we're still working on that. That, that is a resource. It, when we do something out there, it should be a gospel event. Because we have a resource that nobody else has. And we need to use it. It's a gift of God. Move back behind the building to the gymnasium. Man, uh, when I was here 50 years ago, they were talking about a gymnasium. I got back three years later and they had built it. This year is going to be an incredible basketball season as we have a little over 70 kids who have signed up. We have cleared it out. We, if you haven't been in there in a while, you need to go in there because it's been updated. Uh, I think Mark Croner told Jacob he could need to put on sunshades to go in there now because it's so bright. It is. It looks, it looks like a totally different place. But listen, we use that for basketball, but there's so many other things in this community that we can use it for that it can be a gospel event. Ryan has been talking about cornhole. We have, a, um, we have pickleball. We, have, we, are, we are ready to serve this community in so many ways that we can't even imagine. And yes, it probably needs still a little updating. But we'll get to that. We're updating our facilities Little alone. We got, we got the fellowship hall. We have the gym. We have the old chapel. It's now called the Max Center. If you've not walked through there, if you do walk through there, do so at your own risk. But Mike and David and Brett and Mark have done a great job moving this forward. We're getting all the bits and pieces together. And here's what I want to tell you. When we get it done, I believe it will be the foremost youth center for worship and games around we should use that as a gospel event to, to reach people that need, that need the gospel, the truth. This facility was built in the 60s. It's a very nice facility. Maybe a little dated. We know that we got to have some updates done. We're going to have some insurance updates that Mike's working with the insurance company about. But I'm just telling you, we have a pl- whether we feel this one time, two times, three times, or four times on Sunday, this is... This is the sacred place where we come to meet God. In my heart of hearts, I may not communicate this like I should, but when we come together in a time of worship like this, this should be, this should be a sacred moment. That is a moment when we get in touch with God. And we as leaders have the obligation and responsibility to lead us to the very throne of grace. And if I'm going to mention, uh, I'm going to mention something that's not a facility. We, we use our facility for double uses. 
And we need, to, we need to just know this. We have our school. Now, I understand that 10 or 12 years ago, when we started that school, it was like a baseball team. Everybody chose sides and what have you. Here's what I'm going to tell you. We have it today. We have in our stewardship, remember that word entrusted? We have in our stewardship 65 or so students this year and their families that we are responsible for spiritually. And if we're going to be responsible for, I need to tell you, Baxter White's doing a great job. Tiffany did a wonderful job getting it started. Baxter and his staff, you need to pray daily. We need to, we need to not have any more division about school. We just need to go, until God closes it, we get, we're going on and we're taking care of our kids. And we're taking care of our staff. That had been a good place for an amen, yes. Here's what I want to tell you, folks. This beyond, this is beyond, this is beyond whether I like it or not. We are not trying in this school to compete with Ryan in his school. Totally different animal. This is a specific school to do specific things. We're not trying to get bigger. We're, we're um, accredited for like 75 or 80, and that's more than we need. We're trying to take care of the children that God entrusts to us. And that's all a part of our facilities. We need to pray for our staff. We need to pray for our school. We need to pray for our children. We need to embrace them. Facilities. Second thing I'll talk to you about, that we've been given much at facilities, but we've also been given much in finances. Finances. Now, if you're a guest here, I'll just tell you that I have probably not mentioned finances in this church in a message in three and a half years. I don't preach on money all the time. We voted on a $387,000, excuse me, $587,000 budget a year ago, and we fell short. In our church policy, we like to keep $30,000 pad in our checking account. Last, and we had done that two and a half years, but the, that I've been here the last six months, we have seen that ebb away to where we had two or three, four thousand dollars in the hole, not thirty thousand dollars in that checking account. Last month, we put out a report, voted on it. We were eighty four hundred dollars in the hole. I brought it to your attention. After the finance committee and that we got together and I just brought it to your attention. Can I just tell you what we did? In the month of December, not only did we reach our Lottie Moon Christmas offering and go $1,100 over, (laughs) instead of $5,000, we got $6,100. We also took up $60,000 for budget last month. Five Sundays. Now, for those who have a mathematical mind, you know what that you know what you can do. You can put that in your calculator. You can put it in your mind. You put it in your phone. You know what you discover. That we took up, we averaged taking up twelve thousand over twelve thousand dollars a week. You multiply twelve by by fifty two, and you know what you get? You get six hundred twenty five thousand dollars. Our new budget's only five hundred and seventy. You see, the truth is, we have been blessed financially. You folks give like crazy, but what I found out this week, this year, is perhaps Jesus taught more about money than he did heaven and hell. Did you know that? And I have, I'm not a, of all the things you know about me, I'm not a fundraiser. I don't get up here and talk to you about giving you money. But here's what I'm going to tell you. 
is that when we give and we're faithful, we don't ever have to bring up the money part. We meet all our needs. We meet most of our wants. And here's, here's, the, here's the formula. You are a given people. I have never, three and a half years, we've never had a need go unmet. All we had to do is bring it to you and you meet it. And I just think that's incredible. You, you give. But evidently we forget. Get on vacation, day off, we just forget. So from time to time I just may start reminding you that we can honor the Lord. Here's your formula. If you're not a tither, you need to be a tither. That's what the Bible teaches. You cannot give an offering until you've returned your tithe. Return his tithe to him, and then you can give your offering. That's what the Bible says. And I want to tell you, for me, this is a blessed topic to talk about because God is so good through his people, you. Second, the third thing I will, I'll speak to you about is about family. About family. When we interviewed Brother Kevin, Sherman Pound sat right over here, and, and I say interview, this was the deacon. I don't know if it was the roast, toast, or the most. I mean, the deacons got in here with, just like they did with me, and Brother Kevin was sitting up here. And uh, um, Sherman said this. Now, I didn't ask if I could tell this. It's easier to get... Forgiveness than it is permission, Sherman, okay? Sherman said, Brother Kevin, you know our church. We are very much a family church. Is that a good place for an amen? Family churches are stable, strong. But then he qualified it, which I thought was a word of prophecy. He said, but Brother Kevin, he said that can either be a blessing or it can be a curse. Why in the world could it be a curse? Well, here's why. If we get so concerned about our, our people who, who have been born through our patriarch of our family and we lose sight of those folks who are not in those family units. You see, there are others that are out there. But let me just tell you, I view this... What we got, Brock? A couple hundred? 175. 175. I view this 175 people... Two weeks ago it was 235, last week it's 205. I view these people as a family. And you go, well, yeah, we may be a family, but it's not like we went to the hospital and got a baby. It's not like blood like that. Well, let me just tell you something. If you belong to the Lord Jesus, you are a part of the blood family. Amen. And you know what? Let me just make everybody mad at the same time. And your blood family in Jesus lasts longer than your blood family on earth. They'll be with you for eternity. Man, and when we can, when we can make, when people come in here looking for help and hope and healing and they feel the family connection, it's a gospel event. The last thing I will tell you is, I'll speak to you about, and this thought is faith. Faith. How are we saved? We saved by faith. Well, what does that mean to be saved by faith? Let me just give you a definition if you've never had a definition of faith. It is putting your trust in that which you believe to be true. We believe Jesus lived and died. I believe that we can prove it in history, in science, 
in philosophy that Jesus lived and died, that God is eternal. He's the uncaused cause, and we put our faith in Him. And if there's someone in this room that you've never put your faith in Jesus, I urge you today to give it a, give it a thought, to consider it, to let us talk to you about what Jesus, He offers you help, He offers you healing, He offers you forgiveness of sin, because you see, you and I are sinners, and God loves us in spite of the fact. And He loves us enough. He loves us enough to send His only Son to die for us. Faith. But that's not the only faith. We're to come by faith. We're to live by faith. And we're to walk by faith. <laughs> now we're good with, we're good on coming by faith. We're, we're good on, uh, uh, maybe we talk about living by faith, but walking by faith? We're kind of like all from Missouri. The show me state. If you show me, I'll believe it. Well, you know, that's not the way, that's really not the way faith really works. Brock, would you go ahead and dim the lights? I'm going to let you see, we'll take time to let you see a one minute of a video. Every now and then, Hollywood gives us a picture of what? Of a spiritual dimension. Okay. I don't want everybody to giggle, and I don't want to lose everybody. This is Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones shows us walk by faith. I'm going to irritate you because I always hated people to show me a video and then kind of narrate it. But there's a couple of real points I want you to get. So I'm going to step over here as we watch this. This is not just entertainment. This is a life lesson. Mitch? He's standing in front of a deep mountain, deep caverns. Path didn't appear until he took the first step into nothing. And here's the part everybody forgets and misses. Now that he's taken a couple of steps, watch him. He gets excited. He's ready to go forward. That's faith. When you take a step, when you go as far as you can go, as far as you can see, And did you take one step beyond? That's walking by faith. Whether it's a church or whether it's an individual, that's walking by faith. It's not like, show me and I'll believe. It's like, believe and then you can show me. You see, God has put us this faith in us that we trust in Him. And when we trust in Him, it may not make sense. I'm going to illustrate Back in the year 1998, I was pastor in Biloxi. We needed a building really badly. We were on two services, and we were matted in there like flies. Both services, hallways. 
and we didn't have any money. And I had a lady to come to me and go, I'm not, against, I'm not for the building. I go, why? She goes, we don't have money and we don't need it. I said, well, you look around, we need it. We don't have all the money. We probably had a quarter of a million dollars. And so that kind of came, and I just said to the church, I said, here's the thing, is that how much faith would it take to build this building if we had a million dollars in the bank? And it would be none. How much faith does it take if we believe God wants us to have this facility? And we took the step of faith, and little by little, the money came in. And today the building's paid off. You see, folks, a message to us is to whom much has been given. We've been given much in faith, in, in our family connection, in our finances, in our facility. That's the message to us. What's the message for us? The message for us, and it is, remember one who's been given much, here it is, much is, oops, required. Now, we don't really like that word, required. We don't really want anybody to require us to do anything. The Bible don't shy away from that. Micah 6.8 says, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good. And what is it that the Lord requires of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. What is required of us? Can I just offer you four quick things? First thing that I, as I read the Bible in total, is for us to be filled. Everyone in this room is filled with something. I want to just tell you something. Other people know what you're really filled with. You can talk a good, you can try to talk a good game, but people know what you're filled with. People know what's in your heart. I don't believe anybody. That's in Marion County where I heard this first time. I don't believe anybody knows what's in another man's heart. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks. The Bible says, out of the overflow of heart, flow the issues of life. We are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Why are we told to be filled with that? Please listen. Whatever you're filled with is what controls you. I want to say that again. Whatever you're filled with is what controls you. If you feel with your job, it controls you. If you feel with your hobbies, it controls you. If you feel with your sports teams, that's what controls you. Whatever you're filled with is what controls you. That's why Paul said, don't be drunk with wine where it is excess. It's interesting to me that people say with the wine in the New Testament was not fermented so you couldn't get drunk. And at least two, three places it talks about getting drunk, inebriated. Don't get drunk with wine where it is excess. Why is that? Because you don't want the alcohol to control you. 
And then he goes on and he says, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? I, I can't tell you all that it means. But I can tell you that when you're filled with the Spirit, you're sensitive to the Spirit everywhere you go, everything you do, every word you say, every action you take. You know that He's right there with you. And whether you know it or not, whether you're sensitive to it or not, whether you even believe it or not, it's true. He knows what's going on in your mind right now. What are you filled with? We're told to be filled, and then we're told to be faithful. Second thing, we're told to be faithful. (laughs) This word faithful, I could get in real trouble with you guys today. Because faithful means different things to different people at different times at different subjects. Let me just give you for instance. When I was in high school and playing on the football team, If I'd have been as faithful to the football team and their practice as some of us are to church, Coach Kraft would probably kick me off. Hello? So you see, there was a time when we said, when the general consensus was, if you're faithful to your church, you're there at least twice a week. I talked to somebody not long ago. You know, you go to, where do you go to church? And they tell me he's faithful. Yeah, I said, when's the last time you were there? Uh, I think I was there four Sundays ago. And I said, and you're faithful? What's your pastor's name? That's the dead giveaway when somebody tells me they go to church. What's your pastor's name? I'll think of it in a second. Okay, everybody in this room, my name's Jerry, okay? I don't want you to get embarrassed. You see, being faithful... Um, that's one thing, talking about church and the Lord and spiritual things. It's another thing we talk about sports. Brent, your coaches would not let you, if you'd come every now and then, or when they did a drill that you wanted to get, they, they wouldn't have let you play, would they? Well, they may because you're so tall. But the point being is that we're called to be faithful, to be counted on. I can point in this room and I can tell you some people who I can count on. If we need something, I can count on them. They'll be there. And I don't think it's because of Jerry Watts. I think it's because of the life that Jesus put in them that they're going to be faithful to this body that Jesus died for. But we're not only told to be faithful, we're told to be, three, fruitful. Oh, Brother Jerry, now listen, I got you on this one. Because I heard a preacher say, God never commanded us to be fruitful. He just commanded us to be faithful. And that sounds good. It's pretty comfortable and comforting. The problem is, it just doesn't stack up to this book. It just doesn't. Jesus had his disciples in the upper room preparing them for his crucifixion. And he said, I'm divine. Father's the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I am him produces much fruit. You see, we are expected to produce fruit. In fact, Jesus saved 
his harshest criticism, his harshest judgment for the unfruitful. Remember he went to that fig tree and it didn't have any figs on it? He killed that sucker. You see, the, 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 the deal is, is that we are to be fruitful. Fruit comes in all kinds of flavors. One fruit would be leading somebody to Christ. That'd be one fruit. There are people in here that have been saved, have been 60 years, 50 years, 40 years since you walked out, and you never told anyone what Jesus did for you. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he was hanging on the cross dying. One fruit. Another fruit we can find in Galatians 5. Did you realize this? You're producing fruit of some kind. just depends on what it is. In, in Galatians 5, he lists the fruit of the flesh, works of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit. If he was here today, what would he say for you? Oh, Brother Jerry, you're getting kind of personal. Yeah, well, this is supposed to be a convicting message to draw us that the state of the church can be good going forward as it's been going backwards. Be fruitful. And then the fourth thing is to be followers. To be followers. Have you ever thought about what it means to be a follower? Before they had GPSs, we knew what it was to follow somebody from here to town. You got them in front of you, and you watched them. And here's the kicker. You didn't let anybody get between you and that car you were following. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? That's what it means to follow Jesus. Getting him in your headlights, and don't let anybody get between you and him. You see, if we're going to be like him, we're going to have to be watching him and following him. Message to us from everyone who's been much. The message for us, much is required. And I believe those four things are required. It's not an option. It's required for us. But there's one more message here that I really don't want you to miss. So if you've gone to sleep, please open your eyes. If your husband's gone to sleep, elbow him and get him awake. Because the third is the message within us. The message within us. And you see the part of the Scripture that says it. And the one... And the one who has been entrusted with much. That's like a stewardship. That's like Dad giving you something that's really valuable to him and telling you to protect this, use this, protect this, develop this. The one who has been entrusted much, watch this, more will be expected. You see, there's some things of God's people that are required. And there's more that is expected. If we're going to live up to our stewardship, this means that we're going to give honor to the one who gave us all of this stuff to start with. But we have a problem. 
we have a problem. The problem is we have grown up largely in a church culture that tends to see as a request what the Lord sees as a requirement. We, we, we've grown up in a church culture that minimizes what the Lord maximizes. In a culture that, that we see as an option, and he sees as an obligation or an opportunity, that we see as extra, and he sees as expected. This past week I was reading a message from an acquaintance of mine of years past, Dr. Gerald Harris, pastor in Georgia, leader in Georgia, editor for the Georgia Baptist paper. And he reminded me, and so I'm going to remind us, that we are here for those out there. We are here for those yet to come. And he went so far as to say things that I've said in days past. Our Sunday school should be designed for those yet to come. Our activities should be designed for those yet to come. Our ministries should be designed for those yet to come. Because... That was the ministry of Jesus. And he said, as the Father sent me, John chapter 20, so I am sending you. Those yet to come. Over a dozen times, the Gospels talk about Jesus had his eyes set on the other side. Because you see, the other side is for, for those yet to come. For those who need hope and help and healing and salvation and new life and new direction. And I want to just say this to you, brothers and sisters, with all the love in my heart. There is not another entity in 2024 who will offer eternity like this church. Whether people get there or not, it's largely going to be up to us. The message within us is written in every person's heart. And in case you're getting nervous, I want to give you these four. They're going to come in rapid-fire bullet points. And here they are. That we, here's what we need to do. We need to invite. We need to involve. We need to inform. And we need to invest. Invite, involve, inform, invest. Now just hang on to your shoes and listen, please. There's not a person in this room you don't know someone who's sitting at home today that just needs a little nudge. They just need you to invite them. Did you know that something like 80% of people attend worship the first time when somebody invites them? Just think about it. If we got 175 folks in here and everybody invited somebody, now we wouldn't double next week and have 300 and... Fifty people, but you know what we would have? Many of those folks would come because you have invited them. Then we invite them and then we move to the next level and we involve them. This may be a thing that you invite them to your women's ministry, your men's Bible study, uh, worship in the woods, or youth activity, and you 
involve them. Make them, and when they come, listen, and when they come, don't make them feel like a visitor. Don't let them make them feel like an outsider. Make them feel like family. <coughs> and then in that process, they become informed about someone who loves them more than they love themselves. Someone who died for them. Someone who will give them new life. And then you invest in them. That's what our discipleship groups or Bible study groups do. We invest in people. To give your life to help someone else. I believe that the state of the church of New Hope is good. But as with anything else, it depends on what we do with what we've been given. God has blessed us. I told you about this. Mid-90s, Deborah and I served, excuse me, mid-80s, Deborah and I served arguably the largest membership church that we served in our lives. I was the music director. Just to give you the perspective, we would sing between 90 and 110 in our choir on Sunday. We'd have between a 15 to 25-piece orchestra and I had four band directors in that orchestra. These guys could play. We could worship the Lord. We're in the worship center that seated between 13 and 1,500, adding people all the time. Since I've been here, that church closed its doors because it forgot what it was doing. Well, the door of a church in St. Louis, Missouri, many years ago, there's a sign that said, out of business. And somebody had wrote below that, we forgot what our business was. Brothers and sisters, let us not forget that our business is sharing Jesus' life with those who so desperately need it. That's us as a church, and that's you as an individual. Let's pray together.